The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, good morning, food lovers. Wake up and dig in. We have a fabulous show planned for you this morning. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio along with Lana. You're listening to KFWB News Talk 980. Good morning to you, Lana. Good morning. We're sharing our favorite recipes this morning. Everything from Easter ham to Passover haroset and strawberry shortcakes to live for. We're improving your life one meal at a time and bringing you all the flavor every Sunday morning. We're always serving up seconds at Chef jamie.com and you can find me on facebook and twitter under chef jamie gwen we're gonna dish coming up in just a little bit on why bacon makes everything better and if you're excited about the season premiere of mad men tonight well then we have a cookbook to go along with it for you our dear friend rick rogers great talent has come out with the mad mad 60s cookbook and it's everything you love the nostalgia the throwback to the classic cuisine of of the 60s and we're going to share his delicious recipes coming up. It's really today's comfort food. It is. I agree with you and some of your favorites found mm-hmm. in this book. So we'll dish. Stay tuned. There are full hours of delicious conversation this morning. Uh, we want to start off to kick off by recommending, encouraging you to gather your peeps because we're making an Easter leg of lamb. (laughs) Now, ham versus lamb may not rise to the level of theological debate, but when it comes to Easter dinner, it can be very important. And I I don't want to leave lamb out of the Passover meal as well. So stay tuned for Passover recipes and inspiration too. Uh, As far as the Easter leg of lamb, scented with garlic and rosemary, it's an ancient European tradition stretching back through time, a symbol of rebirth and of new spring. Easter lamb is, I think, the edible essence of spring and a very true form of seasonal eating. Now, as for the cut when it comes to a leg of lamb, Lana, would you agree it has to be the leg? Oh, I love the leg of lamb. And it bone in if you're roasting it and uh, boned if you're putting it on the grill. Yes, and I have a great recipe for a boneless leg of lamb that we're sharing. It's posted at chefjamie.com. It's actually a great recipe from the chef of Chez Panisse up mm. in San Francisco. And it's a grilled leg of lamb with garlic and rosemary. And interestingly enough, the way it's done, instead of butterflying, is you actually cut along the natural muscle separation. Or you can have the butcher at Bristol Farms do this for you. Mm-hmm. And And it takes the whole leg of lamb into multiple pieces, maybe two or three, that you throw on the grill. You get lots more wonderful, delicious crust this way. You can determine the temperature of the lamb as well, so you can Mm. determine doneness. It simplifies carving. It's a great leg of lamb recipe. But when it comes to roasting, the best way to secure the success of your roast leg of lamb for Easter is to choose a high-quality butcher. And everyone knows that we're very loyal to Bristol Farms. It's one of the 
the last butcher shops where you can really walk up to the case and choose your steak. And I love that the counter offers you a bevy of so many beautiful cuts of meat. But when it comes to the leg of lamb, there's not a lot of flavor added between the butcher and the plate. So what you taste is the meat that you have purchased. Roasting is the simplest of all ways to cook meat, and it requires very few additional ingredients. You always want to buy a little more lamb than you need, right? Because you'll surely want leftovers for sandwiches. I think the larger roast always creates a sense of drama too, which is that feeling of celebration we all love at a holiday feast. And a larger roast will have more um, gradations between rare and thoroughly cooked meat. So you can please everyone. Now, on the day of your feast, make sure that you remove your leg of lamb from the refrigerator a couple hours before you start to plan for cooking. You must roast your leg of lamb in the oven at room temperature, not cold. Why? Because this ensures more even cooking and it really applies to anything that goes into the oven. You want to start your oven about 20 minutes before you plan to cook and set it to 425 degrees. You must start the roast hot as well because you want a really nice crust. That's your favorite part, Lana, I know. Mm -hmm. Now, a seven pound bone-in leg of lamb will easily serve about eight to 10 people with leftovers. And instead of taking a sharp paring knife, which so many of us know to do, and cut slits and stuff in garlic, I'm adopting a new method this year and combining garlic cloves and parsley and mint and lemon zest and olive oil in the food processor and making a paste. Mm. Rub the lamb all over for fabulous flavor and let it sit for those uh, two hours where it comes up to room temperature, the last hour with all the paste on it, all the flavor will infuse. You're going to roast at high heat, 425 for about a half hour, and then drop it down to 350 degrees. And the Easter leg of lamb recipe is posted on the website, center of the homepage at chefjamie.com. Mm-hmm. Now, there are many other cuts of lamb. Well, I am doing lamb shanks for Passover. I love that you are because... And- it's oh. uh, I'm doing it with sautéed leeks and prunes. Nice. And that is definitely comfort food at its finest. It is. And it's, it's braised. So it's really a one-pot meal. I do mine in the Dutch oven. And I do a, uh, it's not a rub. I just put the whole thing in. But it's coriander seeds, fennel seeds, some pepper. Uh, and I even throw in a Thai chili. Nice. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to so, eat those. But you could open up a couple of cans of the diced tomatoes and put it in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Big, gorgeous uh, bottle of uh, ruby port nice, um, or wine, um, as well as veal or chicken stock. I do use the veal stock. One of the things I love that you do, and you taught me to do, because I'm a better cook for it, is to reduce the stock or the wine down to create a more intense compounded flavor. And this is a great suggestion, whether you're making a wine sauce or you're braising in wine, whether it's for a big holiday feast or Saturday night dinner, you always want to reduce down wine or stock the mm-hmm. store-bought version. If you're making your own, then you're determining its intensity. But you'll find that the water does evaporate and you get a more intense flavor, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I love serving lamb shanks because each person gets their own portion. Yes. It looks very pretty. You could do it with polenta. You could do it over rice, mashed potatoes. And you can make it in advance. That's mm-hmm. one of the benefits you have of braising over roasting, no matter what the holiday, is that you can make your lamb shanks in advance. It'll actually taste better tomorrow. And you let them cool in the Dutch oven, right? And then put them into the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And then I skim the fat. 
before I reheat it. Another benefit, if you're looking to eat a little leaner or cleaner when you're braising, you have the benefit of allowing the meat to cool and then after refrigerating overnight, skimming all of the fat that rises to the top and you do get a much leaner dish. Now, no matter whether you're roasting or braising, one of the secret and most important steps to serving meat and from a restaurant perspective, and this is the stuff that excites me, is to make sure you remember to let the meat relax. If you were to take your braise or, or out rest. or rest. Take a nap. After. Yeah, chill out, babe, right? <laughs> uh, you want to make sure that the meat rests or relaxes out of the oven, even if you're braising and you're roasting as well. The juices will redistribute when the meat is allowed to just sit and out of the oven cool just a bit and you get a really beautiful buttery texture specifically on lamb when you allow the meat to rest and I will tell you roasts that are served from the oven are always chewy and not uniformly textured. If you take it out and slice it right away, you'll notice that all the delicious juices land on the cutting board or the platter or the serving piece that you're offering it up on rather than all beautifully evenly distributed throughout the meat. Now, my suggestion, no matter what your leftover lamb is, braised, roasted, or grilled, make sandwiches with roasted garlic spread and baby arugula. That is the ultimate lamb sandwich to me. And there's lots of great ways to use lamb as leftovers, but we certainly wish you a delicious Easter or Passover, no matter which way you plan to make it. I think uh, that you should add just some pesto to a bottled mayonnaise and make a little mayonnaise spread that way for your sandwich. Oh, nice. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Just use the bottled variety and add your garlic, roasted garlic to it or pesto or whatever. Also known as fake it, don't make it. One of the things I love to do too with the leftover ham is to make a gratin. You can use uh, cauliflower and ham as a classic combination. You could make a big um, baked penne pasta with ham. You can always, of course, wake up to eggs with ham and cheddar and chives. Or another great thing to do with ham, Lana, is we could pull out the panini maker and set out lots of different cheeses and beautiful breads and you have um, grilled ham and cheese sandwiches. Oh, that's fabulous. Or even better yet, on a waffle. Oh, perfect. You want to come over per- day after Easter? Yes, yes, I'll be there. <laughs> I'd love to have you. Each day. Each Passover, <laughs> Easter, and Monday. We do love to celebrate in this family and we welcome you from my kitchen to yours. This is our culinary playground where you will find delicious dishes recipes, inspiration, and more every Sunday morning. When we come back, if you're looking to make a reservation for Easter rather than cook this year, we have the best hot spots for Easter brunch, both Los Angeles and Orange County, California. So stay tuned and why everything does taste better with bacon right after this. Chef Jamie went along with Lana in your radio. Don't go away. Food is life. Create and savor yours. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. So maybe you're not planning to cook for this year's Easter holiday. Well, we have some suggestions for you as to where to dine for Easter brunch. There's lots of wonderful choices, talented chefs out there that are putting out a beautiful brunch. And especially this year, we found uh, some fabulous choices both in Los Angeles, in Orange County, and then in the areas surrounding as well. At Cafe Pino, uh, a Joe Kim Splichal restaurant, downtown contemporary American cuisine in downtown 
downtown Los Angeles. They're offering a French-inspired Easter brunch this year from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And they're doing uh, brioche French toast and a flat iron steak and French scrambled eggs. It's $55 per person. At Saddle Peak Lodge, you can make a reservation in Calabasas for their three-course prefix menu. It is one of the most rustically elegant dining rooms anywhere, and they have a beautiful garden patio. At The Catch and Taps, that covers Anaheim, Brea, and Corona. Those are the surrounding areas. All of Orange County. Yes. We love their extravagant Sunday brunch. And their brunch extravaganza is extending on Easter Sunday to be even bigger and better. It is the most incredible variety from plump shrimp to the freshest oysters on the half shell of a seafood display you've ever seen. And then they do, of course, all of the TAPS award-winning beers along with their brunch. And it's $39.99 a person. Mm, Always fabulous Great value. Uh, Bruno over at Anaheim White House is doing a beautiful champagne brunch as well. Italian-inspired. 1030 in the morning till 3 p.m. And then the Island Hotel, Chef David, new at the helm, is offering an Easter brunch. And they always do something poolside, which I love, too. And then if you are a steakhouse lover, Fleming's Steakhouse and Wine Bar at all of the locations throughout Southern California is offering an Easter brunch. Mm. And you'll find some new specials on their menu. So check out their website. You can make reservations at any of these restaurants online. And we'll gladly share our list with you. Just write to... In an email, live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com, L-I-V-E at chefjamie.com for all the info you need. Uh, Just this past week, I caught up with Chef John Cook, who truly believes that everything tastes better with bacon, and I agree. Take a listen. Salty, sweet, and smoky. Everybody knows I am big on pig. So this should be a scrumptious conversation. We are living in a bacon nation, from bacon vodka to bacon mints. Burger King's executive chef and unofficial PhD of porkology, John Cook, joins us to talk about the irresistible taste of bacon. It's a pleasure to have you, Chef. Welcome. Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so tell us. What is your most unusual and favorite bacon creation today? It must change, I would think. Well, yeah, it does. It does. Currently, my at work, my most proud moment in bacon, so to speak, is our new Chef's Choice burger. We use a thick-cut, naturally smoked bacon on a seasoned ground chuck, chuck patty, and it is absolutely delicious. Let's talk about different varieties of bacon, because you can find smoked bacon today. You can find it in a variety of different woods, whether it be applewood or almond wood. One of my favorites is pecan as well. And you can find bacon that has been cured and uncured, and I'd like to try to make some sense of the different offerings at market. Well, uh, we use, of course, a smoked bacon, and we use a blend of hardwoods to give it a deep smoked flavor. But, you know, I think these are all kind of a matter of preference. You have light smokes, like some of the fruit woods are, produce a pretty light smoke. You have the um, not smoked at all, which gives you a clean pork flavor, more like you're really eating just a, a fried pork belly. Mm-hmm. And then you have the uncured that is even more pure than that, doesn't have the salt or the sugar in it. So it really, I think, is a matter of preference and then, for some, how they want to flavor the end dish. I agree with you. I happen to think that the uncured, for those that have allergies or find themselves reactive to sulfites or if you find, let's say, in wine, for instance, that um, some of the acidity or the natural chemical that is naturally occurring in the grape tends to affect you, 
our U.S. food-loving audience is going toward cleaner foods. And I think it's very interesting that bacon has gone even the cleaner route where you can find the uncured bacon, still get the beauty of the pig, the beauty of the pork, but without the additives. Right. Well, you know, I think that kind of plays into uh, some of the things we're seeing. We really try and focus on fresh and wholesome ingredients. And that's why we chose in ours to use natural smoke versus atomized smoke or liquid smoke or any of those things that even though we wanted that smoke flavor in there we wanted to keep it pure as we could as well and give us a little history of the movement because i know you've done a lot of research since uh, the advent of bacon and the growth of bacon as far as our love affair is concerned the food trend grows does it not it does you know i i think that bacon in america particularly is kind of in our dna you know we've been waking up to the smell of bacon in a skillet since really before there was refrigeration in this country. And I think people have always really loved it because, you know, it tastes good by itself and it makes other things taste really good. I think recently with the Internet and social media, uh, passionate people have found a way to share their love of bacon in many ways, <laughs> and uh, that's where it's really exploded from. It's transcended beyond being just a food item. I saw bacon lip balm recently, Chef. Oh, yeah. Yes. In fact, here in the studio, I'm looking at some bacon toothpaste right now. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) now that really brings the pig home. What else have you seen? A bacon air freshener I've I've actually witnessed. Bacon band-aids, bacon dental floss, bacon jelly beans, bacon jam, bacon martinis, you name it. I make a bacon martini. You know, I think that bacon has so many opportunities in that you can fry it up in a skillet and like you said, enjoy it as the first aromas in the morning for breakfast, but you can candy it, you can glaze it, you can crisp it, you can throw it into chocolate chip cookies. What's your favorite thing to do at home with bacon or throw a few ideas out if you would? Well, one of the ones I really like is bacon jam. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it's You know, it's bacon cooked with brown sugar, maple syrup, and coffee, and you make this sort of luscious bacon pate at the end that really is delicious to spread on just about anything. What do you put it on? Is it uh, on top of a cracker or on top of a pork chop? Well, really, it could be either. I I mean, I serve it just spread on crostinis, Uh but, you know, you can also put a dab of it on top of a poached egg, and then you've, you know, kind of got a bacon with a self-made sauce or a hollandaise sauce if you will when you crack into that yolk oh i'm loving that john oh now that sounds delicious we actually put bacon recently into our pancakes so rather than uh, dip or slide the crispy piece of bacon into the maple syrup that runs off your pancakes better yet just put it right inside bacon waffles bacon pancakes yeah it's funny you should say that my mother made both both of those while I was growing up. I always had pancakes stuffed with bacon and waffles, and that's probably where my love affair started. I would expect so, definitely. What can we uh, expect to see in the months and years to come, in your opinion, when it comes to the bacon trend? As it relates to where I think it'll go, I think people will start exploring bacon or bacon analogous products from other countries. So I think you'll see people looking at, you know, Italy's guanciale, for instance, Mm, or uh, Chinese lap yuck, or any number of other products. You know, I think people are curious what a rasher is and those things. So hopefully people will um, go beyond the borders and explore that. 
I think you'll also see some alternate proteins like um, lamb bacon or turkey bacon. Maybe, you know, maybe not next week, but soon I think people will find interest in that. I certainly appreciate your forecast, and we look forward to the opportunity to put bacon in everything we make. I'm a big fan of Spain's um, Iberico ham, and the more that we see coming out of Spain and Italy with the idea that bacon continues to grow, I think the better our dishes will be. So thank you for contributing to the Bacon Nation. Having gone beyond just breakfast, bacon is infiltrating into almost every aspect of life. Where can we learn more about what you're doing with bacon? John? Uh, you can go to bk.com and see all the new products we've launched that have our uh, thick-cut hardwood smoked bacon in it uh, and all the new products that we're about to launch. Fabulous. He is Burger King's executive chef and unofficial PhD of porkology, John Cook, and it is a bacon nation. Why not weigh in? You can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen or log on to the website at chefjamie.com and let us know what you're making with the best of the pig. The delicious conversation continues right after this. Don't go away. As the delicious conversation continues, Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Recipes and tips for marvelous meals are shared here on this show. This show, rather. This hour, you'll gain ideas for how to eat well and live well. This show is for people who love to cook or love to eat. I like to say we can definitely be friends if you are one or both. And we're telling you about our favorite recipes and authors and foods and restaurants and gadgets for your kitchen. We do hope that you'll visit chefjamie.com to become a more confident cook. New videos have been posted along with the recipe of the week, which is a spring-inspired poached egg brioche stack. It's really a, a take on the perfect dish for Easter brunch with beautiful poached eggs on brioche with slices of ham or Canadian bacon and heirloom tomato and then melted fontina cheese. That's my favorite melting cheese. You'll also find Lana's recipe for chocolate macaroons for a Passover blessing posted on the website. And we hope that you will mark your calendar because you're invited and we are very excited. We have an incredible show planned with live guests in person. And of course, the Melissa's crew, we are broadcasting live from Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach coming up on Sunday, May 6th. Great food. Great food. Melissa's is barbecuey. Yes, they are. Mm. And if you had two words, it would be barbecued corn baby. Well, that's three words. But we are (laughs) going to have fun and we're going to learn and we're going to uh, speak with most interesting guests. And we're going to fire up the grill and learn everything we can about what to do with the seasonal produce that hits your farmer's market and your favorite supermarket for the summer season. What a wonderful introduction to celebrate spring into summer. Please come join us. It's a free live broadcast. There'll be lots of great giveaways, contests galore, and we hope you'll come out Sunday morning. May 6th, Bristol Farms, Manhattan Beach. We will feed you breakfast. Come hungry. We also have a food photo contest going on and we will award the top three finalists at the live broadcast with $50 gift cards to shop at Bristol Farms. We hope you'll share your travel food photos. You can go through your archives on your computer, say, and share your most memorable food experiences through photography. You just submit your photos to live at chefjamie.com. So be sure to 
to do that. Now, this is a big night for TV, Lana. For those that have eagerly anticipated the long-awaited season five premiere of Mad Men, it is happening tonight. And if you are returning to the tradition of the Sunday night Mad Men dinner, well, we have a cookbook for you. You've got to hear about this. Rick Rogers, leave it to Rick, has written a nostalgic cookbook that's a cookbook that's a throwback to the classic cuisine of the 1960s. Maybe you want to revisit the favorite recipes of your childhood. Maybe you want to celebrate the comfort food, as Lana calls it, the sometimes kitschy but always satisfying dishes of the era. The book is a great read. It's got lots of fun stuff about the prices back then compared to now, nostalgic ideas about the 60s table. And Rick is here to share his mad, mad 60s cookbook with us. Good morning, Rick. Hello. How are you, ladies? Good morning. (laughs) We're glad to have you. Fabulous book. Oh, well, thank you. Well, all right, I'm a child of the 60s. Let's oh, do the math. Me but, too. <laughs> uh, I am a child of the 60s, and I so remember those dinner parties that my, my folks used to have. Oh, and, especially with the pimento and walnut cheese ball? <laughs> yes. I think you're both cheese balls, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But I understand the cheese ball was big back then. The cheese ball was big back then. I have to tell you what's big right now. I, I like to serve them. Uh, for parties, and it's always the first thing to go. Well, I can't say that. The cheese ball is the second thing to go. You know what the first thing to go is? What? Onion dip. (gasps) Okay, now you you just captured my heart, Rick. (laughs) I I am an onion dip lover, and it's interesting to me because some of the most interesting facts in the book, aside from the recipes, are the inventions that you have mentioned about what year they came out. And onion dip was big for a reason in the 60s. Well, sure, because it was when um, the instant the dry onion soup came out and the, it's called california onion dip on the back of the package because supposedly it was a california housewife and you notice I, I that's what it was called back then uh that was that was the job title housewife invented this recipe with a pint of sour cream and an envelope of onion soup and that's the way how my family still makes it. My mom doesn't even bother to put it in a bowl. She just sprinkles the onion dip right into the container, stirs it up. Oh, I love <laughs> that. I used to do that. <laughs> yeah, and, but this is the perfect example for what we did with this book. While we give you the time-honored recipe, the, the can of soup recipes, we also give updated versions, too. So you will get the, um, the California dip uh, on natural in its original state, but we also have a caramelized onion dip that has a little bit of Roquefort cheese in there mm. that is equally mm. yummy. Yes, oh, and yours very. is formed similarly, similarly after one that I make, Rick. I make a caramelized onion dip as well. And the onions take a good 30, 35, 40 minutes to caramelize. Right. And then you, I love your idea and inspiration to add in Roquefort. I add sour cream, mayonnaise, oh, and cream cheese. It's very that. low fat, really. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I like the idea of adding additional cheeses. You could add goat. If you're a feta lover and you like that salty, tangy flavor, the opportunities are endless. I, I always um, go for uh, blue cheese a lot in my, in my cooking because of the umami factor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, blue cheese has umami where some of the other cheese don't have, doesn't have it as much. You know, that's a, people often ask me, what is the secret to good cooking? And I think that knowing how to use umami, things like soy sauce, Worcestershire sauce, balsamic vinegar, mm-hmm. uh, mushrooms, 
those are the secret ingredients to a lot of foods you don't even know it. And mush and Lipton uh, onion soup. Uh, yes. Well, the thing about the 60s, we can make fun all we want to about onion soup and our, our, our canned soup. But while it was the era of canned soup, it was also the era of Julia Child and James Beard. Yes. So mm. those people came to the forefront. So it has kind of a schizophrenia, the 60s cuisine. Mm-hmm. That is very true. I, you know, there's so many things that came out of the 60s, Rick, that we all associate with that era and that decade, like the poo-poo platter. Uh, well, now, again, California, uh, people talk about California cuisine as if it happened yesterday. California cuisine has been around for a long time, and it was Don the Beachcomber and Trader Vic's. I was mm-hmm. raised in Oakland, so I'm a Trader Vic's fan, oh. but uh, Don the Beachcomber was down yes. in Malibu and many other places, too, in Southern California. But those guys in the 30s and 40s established Tiki Cuisine. Uh, now, it's funny that you think about tiki cuisine because it has a lot to do with rum. Last time I checked, rum is not from Polynesia. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there are lots of great rums on the market today. You know, uh-huh. the, the white rums and the artisanal uh, liquors that are being created. I, I think that rum is one of those that has come a long way. In fact, you have much more variety and choice than ever. Oh, absolutely. And, and just like um, so many other things... Our knowledge of the uh, intricacies mm. of rum, like whether it's from uh, Barbados or Jamaica, right. and mm. uh, whether it's a rum agricole, uh, mm. there's just so many different levels. Well, you know, since we're talking about cocktails, of course, that's an important part of the madman culture. Yes, and I thought that we should definitely uh, shake up a, a Mai Tai tonight. Well, I have two words, Mai Tai. Yeah. <laughs> well, you really, I, I think that, uh, well, I remember that there was um, once, I think in season one, they went to, oh, yeah, Rachel had a Mai Tai. Mm-hmm. And I think she almost threw it in Dawn's face. <laughs> Much I, better Rachel, to drink. I loved Rachel. She was such a great character. I hope she's back in this season. But um, Rachel is the um, de- department store owner in season one who had the affair with Dawn. Yes. Um, but Don liked his uh, old fashions. I think that uh, that's what we see Don drink the most when he's not just you know swilling um, rye or bourbon out of the bottle <laughs> in his office. <laughs> that oh, I think that's the easiest way for it to go down. Um, as far as an old fashioned today, yeah, uh, I, I think that there's something beautiful about the style and state of it as is. But you do have a couple new twists. Well, um, it's called an old fashioned because this was the original cocktail. Right. Back in the early 1880s, when you said the word cocktail, it meant one thing, booze. Now, mm-hmm. the booze was very, very, very rough. <laughs> it was probably made in the, from a still down the street. So it would either be um, rye or, or rum or gin, because those were the, uh, the most popular liquors in the early uh, 18th century. That would be the 19th century. And then, so... By, so it would be booze. He had to put some sugar in it because it was just too rough to drink. You had to put some water in it because it was too rough to drink. And you had to put some bitters in it because it was too rough to drink. <laughs> so that's what a cocktail was. So by the time um, it, it had its uh, rebirth in the, in the late 1800s, it was already called an old-fashioned cocktail. 
And as you mentioned in the book, today, most of the bartenders will often muddle the cherry or the orange to add a fruit infusion because that's very popular in our cocktails. Um, But it it used to be just a garnish. Rick, stay there, please, because we're not finished dishing on the 60s. We're taking a nostalgic trip down memory lane and visiting old classics. Your kitchen will soon be swinging in 60s style. Stay tuned. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana and Rick Rogers, the author of The Mad mad 60s cookbook more after this here's a juicy tidbit if you're planning a mad mad men party tonight you need the mad mad 60s cookbook rick rogers is with us chef jamie gwen along with lana in your radio serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. more than 100 retro recipes for the modern cook to bring the 60s back are all a part of this fabulous cookbook that's really a great throwback, Rick. And again, I love all the interesting facts. Um, Waldorf salad, one of the greats of the 60s, Lana and I were thinking would be a great throwback for an Easter celebration. Well, yeah, it's a great brunch dish. And uh, now, now let's talk about food that has a name. Yes. What, what I mean is there's so many dishes from that era mm-hmm. that are named after mm-hmm. a person or a place or a thing. And it's something, again, that's a trend that we really don't have that much anymore, though I am waiting for a pizza puck, maybe, something. <laughs> but, but let's see, so we just mentioned Waldorf, but then we have beef stroganoff, mm-hmm. oh. beef wellington, yes, uh, chicken Kiev. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, all right, I'll leave up Bloody Mary. But, Thank you. Yeah, but um, but it's just interesting to think that 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 they would give things a name to kind of give it that sense of um, uh, sophistication mm-hmm. and otherness, that exoticness that uh, that you had to have when you were having a dinner party. Mm, it was elegant food that was so, sort of pretty simple to prepare. Well, that's why I think it has so much of a place today, is it does have a simplicity to it. We've elevated the flavor profile and the quality of our tenderloin of beef. So your Wellington today is going to be better than ever. The puff pastry uh, is, you know, rich and buttery and flaky, but it's still the traditional classic. And that's what I love about the idea of cooking um, in other eras and, you know, the comfort food that you love, but bringing it new and current. Lobster Newberg. No. Now, when was the last time you had lobster or lobster thermidor? I don't have a recipe for lobster thermidor because huh. I didn't want it to be the lobster cookbook. But um, <laughs> lobster Newberg. Huh. Like, if I could have uh, go to a restaurant and have reliable lobster Newberg right now. Oh, wouldn't that happy. be fabulous? What would you do? You should probably come over to Lana's house later, Rick, if I can beg her uh, <laughs> to make it, because if you want the best chicken divan ever, mm. you have a recipe for chicken divan in the book. This is a dish that I remember from my childhood and still today I mean we haven't had it in a long time Lana and everyone knows uh, who listens to the show that we are a family affair and Lana is my mom but this was that lovely dish where the sauce was spread all over the chicken and the broccoli and it had a, a New York restaurant association as well you make it from scratch but I remember the creamy sauce maybe this is where my love for sauces came to be because mm-hmm. I'd almost sacrifice the chicken and the broccoli for just the sauce now, and the, it, ori- it, the original recipe for chicken divan 
uh, was not a, a can of mushroom soup, the way how many of us learned to, uh, I wouldn't say love it, but how we learned how our first association with chicken divan was that recipe. Mm-hmm. The, the original recipe from New York was from a restaurant called the Devan Parisien. And one of the reasons why it was so outrageous was because they would mix a sauce suprême, which is a chicken sauce that has cream in it, with hollandaise sauce. Mix those two sauces oh. together. Oh, bring it on. And oh. then smear it over the, the, the broccoli and broil it. Now, that, yours is a little different. I, um, I mix sour cream and mayonnaise together with Parmesan cheese. Yes, and when you... A, Broil it, Rick. Oh, it's outrageous. It gets all sort of golden and crusty on the top. And, you know, you have the beautiful brown bits from the Parmesan cheese that caramelize. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Now, there's three words. If you're going to have a madman party or a 60s party, all you need, you have to do is either have a chafing dish, <laughs> a stew yes. pot, or an electric frying pan. <laughs> you make anything in any one of those three things that automatically says brings back memories, doesn't it? But you have to finish off the night with a flaming baked Alaska. Mm-hmm. Booze, very, very important. <laughs> How many of those iconic sixty dishes were had had booze in them in some kind? Uh, mm-hmm. Flaming Alaska is flamed with rum. I remember grasshopper pie. My mom <gasps> making grasshopper pie very often as a as a dessert uh, to finish mm-hmm. off the family. Uh, well, we weren't allowed to have it. Of course, we would sneak it, but it had plenty of creme de menthe in it. Oh, it was gorgeous to look at, that green color. But, was but fun. I think that when you're having a big a bunch of people over for a party, it's very hard to turn your house into a bar and make one person a martini and one person a Mai Tai and one person a mint julep. I like to make a picture of something. Do you agree mm. with me? Yes. Uh, yes, Rick. And you and I and Lana all cook very similarly. I want to enjoy the party. I want the food to be the focus and the highlight. But pictures of cocktails allow you to enjoy the party yourself, family and friends. So you mix up whatever the cocktail is without adding any ice, preferably stirred in a pitcher, keep it cold in the fridge, and then let everyone shake their own drink or even just pour it over ice and apply the appropriate garnishes. And then the the bar is sort of um, handled by the guests. Yeah. I mean, I, I know tonight I'm going to be making a, Man, uh, a picture of Manhattans because Manhattan, Mad Men, Madison Avenue, why not? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use, um, let's see, I'm going to make bourbon um, Manhattans. I'm going to use Four Roses bourbon, mm. my bourbon of choice right now. You know, bourbon's always made with corn, but this is non-GMO corn. This is not something that every bourbon maker can say. Yeah, Four Roses has gotten a lot of attention, Rick, and I'm with you. I happen to like it very much, and I'm not a bourbon drinker, but I think it's a very good uh, mix mixing bourbon. It, I think it uh, yep. definitely blends beautifully. I think that it's because especially the single uh, barrel yes. uh, has a lot of rye in it, too, and rye is a, uh, the... Even more than bourbon was um, in the 60s was uh, the brown liquor of choice. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm a bourbon fan now, sipping or with cocktails. So mm-hmm. that would be, and you can eyeball this recipe very easily. It's no matter what size your pitcher is, two parts of bourbon and then either a third or a quarter of sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be Italian vermouth uh, by its other name. And then you can put bitters in it, too. I'm partial to orange bitters. I, I just love that flavor with this combination. Mm-hmm. It helps it along. I'm going to do a pitcher, a Bloody Mary pitcher. 
Oh, I like that idea too. Lots of garnish. Lots and lots of garnish. And um, I think that I'm sticking with the Mai Tai. I'm definitely going fruity tonight, guys. I am. Uh, I happen to love the color profile. You could always go blue Hawaiian too. I mean... Nothing that's said the sixties like blue like blue Hawaiians. I, I that's one of my favorite photographs in the book is the Mai Tai and the blue Hawaiian next to each other. <laughs> the colors are well, gorgeous. They're, they're psychedelic. Yes, another sixties. <laughs> yes, and I love that word. And on that note, Rick, we thank you for always sharing your tremendous passion. He is Rick Rogers, the uh, thirty-five title cookbook author and connoisseur. Uh, there's much more about planning your Mad Men party. It's not too late at rickrogers.com, R-O-D-G-E-R-S. And this is such a great book. It really is. And add this cookbook to your collection, the Mad, 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 Mad 60s Cookbook, Retro Recipes for the Modern Cook. Tonight, the long-awaited and long-delayed season premiere of Mad Men will be aired. Of course you're having a party, right? So plan accordingly. Well, in preparation for tonight, you have to buy a vintage suit or dress. Yes. Drink too much and practice your sexism. Let me get right on that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Rick, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for partying with us. My pleasure. I'm going to light a cigarette now. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. There's more delicious conversation in your radio. Serving up seconds at ChefJamie.com. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Stay tuned. You're listening to KFWB News Talk 980. Welcome to the second hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. We have a taste for life and we're satisfying your cravings this morning dedicated to delicious dishes. We're so glad that you've joined us. We're going way beyond mere eating and drinking. We're on a mission to find the most exciting places, new experiences, emerging trends. And it is our goal to bring you the best interviews, products, and insight into the wide world of food. We're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. And we hope that you'll mark your calendar. We have a live broadcast coming up on May 6th, live from Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach with the Melissa's Produce Crew. You can come taste and learn and explore the fabulous world of food, along with a food photo contest with $50 gift cards to Bristol Farms for the top three finalists. So check it out. It's all at chefjamie.com, along with videos, cocktail recipes, and more. Uh, coming up this hour, stay tuned. We are planning your Passover menus with Judy Bart Kansagor, the author of Jewish uh, Cooking Jewish, rather. And we're sharing inspiration for the Jewish holiday upcoming, the most important Jewish holiday of the year. But first, we have a world exclusive, the highly anticipated issue that will be available for the very first time as an iPhone and iPad app releases this Wednesday, the 2012 edition of the Gallo annual restaurant issue featuring the top 40 restaurants in the U.S., the top 10 steakhouses, the top 10 romantic restaurants, and much more. Again, releasing on Gallo.com this Wednesday. But this is your sneak peek. Sophie Gallo is live from Paris to give us a preview. Uh, bonjour, Sophie. Good morning. 
Bonjour. Should I continue in French or no? <laughs> <laughs> no, you should continue in English, please. I, I'll try. I'll try. I've been spoken <laughs> English for a while, but. <laughs> uh, tell us uh, how is Paris uh, on this lovely Sunday? Uh, Paris is as lovely as uh, it, it, it is in California. It's perfect weather, so ready to. Uh, um, go for Matai after I'm done with you now that I've heard the recipe to do it. Ah, uh, yes, because we're celebrating uh, the Mad Men series uh, premiere, the much-awaited as well, like your highly anticipated issues uh, on television tonight. So we were celebrating 60s cuisine. You heard some of that. You're going to have a Mai Tai in Paris? I don't know. I'm going to have to try, find out a place. I'm going to go on gaio.com and find a place in Paris for it. That's what I would do. You're going to have to push that glass of burgundy aside. Um, tell us, Sophie, because we're very excited about the annual restaurant issue, your issue on gaio.com, and um, what we can anticipate in the top 40 restaurants in the U.S., which always thrills me. Hello? Yes, Sophie, are you there? Yeah, yeah sorry, I said I lost you since it's an over-continent uh, phone call. Well, we have um, a little turnover on the 40 uh, restaurant, the top 40 restaurant in the U.S. There's a new one on the list. Um, it's Monton, and uh, five restaurants are um, out of the list because some are closing, like Charlie Palmer is closing uh, in Chicago, is clo- closing in August, so we get some... Uh, come back uh, restaurant, restaurant that were there before. They're back on the list now, like uh, Frasca Food and Wine, the Herb Farm, um, in Washington, True in Chicago, and Coy in San Francisco. And True and, and Coy uh, always on the list. But I want to go back to Charlie Palmer for a moment. A big piece in Food Arts Magazine, interestingly enough, about Charlie Palmer uh, in January making the uh, public mention that he is going to be closing the restaurant, although he's keeping his to-go, his fast casual sort of concept. Um, but like Il Bulli in Spain, people are now buying reservations for Charlie Palmer to get in before the restaurant closes. He's such an iconic chef. You know, he is actually credited with creating the chef's menu, having taken the seasonal approach uh, to all of his dishes. And I, I think it's um, it's going to be a, a, quite a passing of a restaurant. Let's, let's try for you and I can go in. I was actually in Chicago very recently, so uh, to um, interview uh, Chef Jean Jo from Everest Restaurant, who is going to be uh, the 2012 Gallo's Restaurateur of the Year. Yeah, very impressive. And I, I had dinner at Alinea also, which is one of the um, Los Gallo Top 40 restaurants. It was uh, a very um, different experience than what I usually have. I, I really um, felt that Alinea was uh, top of the game. You say Alinea, I say Alinea. You're talking well, about the chef in Chicago, yes? Yeah, right. Yeah. You're, you're pronouncing it the right way. I'm doing it the French way. So that was a, that was quite an experience, I have to say. It's... Uh, um, it's a, a place that's so different from any other restaurant and any that it almost should not be called a restaurant. It should be called maybe a, you know, a museum or something or food. Or, uh, and I, I'm not sure I would go back that often because I would lose the um, surprise effect, but it was quite impressive and it was good. It's said to be quite an experience. We had Grant Ackett here on the radio, Sophie, when his book first released, and he's quite a story. He's the chef that lost all sense of taste and has come back stronger than ever. His bar mm-hmm. next door is the hottest spot west of the Mississippi, too. So, um, okay, so we're going to see um, Menton, the n- only restaurant gracing the list for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. Let, let's yeah. talk a little bit um, about Menton and 
what you thought of your last experience there. Well, you know, they, they, um, I don't know if you, there's a video online that is called the behind the scene of making the restaurant issue, and I'm talking uh, about the team effort that we have to cover all these restaurants. I cannot be the only one covering everything. You know, um, even though there's three guys, there's my father and then there's my brother, we can't physically do go to all those places. So, you know, some people are on the list. It's 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 a effort. It's a group effort. It's a team effort with our local writers that are we rely on to to make the peaks. So it's a I great video, by the way. So if we, we've watched it, this is Barbara Lynch's fine dining restaurant in Boston's uh, Fort Point neighborhood. Take us to uh, Best Chefs. What can you give us a, a preview about in the Wednesday release of the Gaio statistics? Well, the, the you know the restaurateur, as I said, there was Jean Joao from Everest Restaurant. We also has other uh, restaurant in in Chicago, Perry Club, and National Twenty Seven. Uh, but we have what's interesting is the five rising chefs, the young kids, the the, the chefs that are around, you know, they're 30 years old or, or under, and the one that we feel are going to become uh, important chef, or they're going to bring something to the culinary scene in the in the U.S. Like uh, uh, Chris Query at Whist uh, at the Viceroy in Santa Monica, who uh, cooked a special dinner the other day, which it was an all-around game. Uh, wild game, and this this guy he was he was, a, he was on top chef. He got booted out, but even though he got booted out, I think there's a lot of hope with with Chris. He's very talented. He's getting a lot of attention at Whist. It's W H I S T at the Viceroy, and his cuisine is said to be uh, very rustic. And he has a way with game, as you said. So I think he's definitely one to watch. Very, very creative, very yes. tasty. Uh, he mixes a lot of things on the plate. They do work together, and uh, a very nice presentation. So that let's watch this guy. And uh, also, if we stay in the you know Southern California area. Uh, in the uh, top 10 new, we have uh, Volgang Puck at the Bel Air Hotel. Ah, uh, yes. We had Wolfgang on for the Oscars, and he spoke so with so much heart about his restaurant there. He's very, very proud of the Bel Air oh, yes, operation. Yes, yes, he takes great uh, care, and um, they, they, they devoted a lot of effort on making that restaurant. He also has another restaurant as top 40, which is Fago, and he has uh, in top 10 steakhouses in the U.S. Cut is on the list, so... Hard work, you know, yes. pays. Pay, pays off. On pays off. Talk nationally for us, Sophie. Let's go from uh, Southern California and Los Angeles to the opposite coast. Some of the best uh, restaurants in New York and Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. New York, we have, you know, Eric Lippert, Le Bernardin, uh, um, Daniel Boulou, uh, Thomas Keller, Per Se, The Modern, um, with Gabriel Crutter. Um, so it's, uh, there's a lot of them. There's Vegas, you know, we have uh, Guy Savoie. We have Pierre Gagnier. We have, of course, you know, the uh, Joel Robichon um, and Picasso, Julian Serrano. Yes. Uh, we are Julian, uh, Julian Serrano fans, and I will say some of the best food in Vegas comes out of the Picasso kitchen. It is a, a, a beautiful uh, they, restaurant. They enlarged the terrace at Picasso, so to oh. eat outside, uh, to enjoy the uh, water show in a closer way, you get, even get wet, you know. So uh, that's also that's, that's a very fun. N- nice and it's gorgeous restaurant with all these paintings and um, the plates are, you know, the presentation plates are Picasso designs. So that's that's a mm. good one. Um, yes, a plate presentation wise, 
Sophie, it's Charlie Trotter's restaurant in Chicago that's closing, not Charlie Palmer. Stay with us, please. We know you're live from Paris, but we want to keep you longer. Uh, Gaio.com is the serious resource for providing timeless coverage while keeping pace with the latest trends, don't you think, Lana? And it's yeah. our go-to place for uh, lifestyle, hotel, restaurant picks, and more. And the very highly anticipated 2012 edition of their annual restaurant issue featuring the top 40 restaurants in the U.S., steakhouses, romantic restaurants. When we come back, uh, we're going to dish on the insider picks as well, all at Gaio.com. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana and Sophie Gaio in your radio Stay tuned. There's more after this. Sharpen your cooking skills and please your palate. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. You're always welcome to weigh in. Phone lines are open. 888-539-2980-888-KFWB-980. You'll find us at chefjamie.com, and we're dishing with Sophie Gaillot, live from Paris, of Gaillot.com, G-A-Y-O-T, G-A-Y-O-T dot com. The first, in fact, uh, website that followed from the award-winning guidebooks that reviewed restaurants and that kept uh, the pace with the trends. And that's what we're doing this morning. We have a worldwide exclusive, the 2012 edition of the annual restaurant issue from Gaillot.com featuring the top 40 restaurants in the U.S. is about to release this Wednesday, and we're getting a sneak peek so, and Sophie, I love how you break it down. You do the 10 uh, top steakhouses in the U.S., 10 mm-hmm. romantic restaurants, and the 10 insider picks in the U.S., which I'd love to hear about. You know, that this is actually one of my favorite lists on the, on the newsletter is this insider speak mm-hmm. list. It is you are in one city. You only have one evening, exactly. um, one, one restaurant you can go to. Uh, which one would you go to? It's like a restaurant that you will not find into another city. Mm-hmm. It's not it, It's not the best restaurant. The best restaurant, they are on the top 40 um, list. Um, and it's like there's something special about that one. Like in, in Chicago, it's Purple Peak. The, the, this, uh, it's, it's on Randolph, of Randolph Avenue and, uh, um, sorry, Michigan Avenue. And it is serving uh, with communal tables. Some uh, a lot of things around um, uh, pig and uh, cheese, uh, and it's very comfortable. In LA, we have uh, Pica, which is uh, Ricardo Zarate restaurant ah, on yes. on Pico, mm-hmm. which is his Peruvian um, restaurant with some some twist of you know Asian influences and uh, uh, California, which is great and it's not expensive. It's actually a, a very good deal. And um, Sophie and Peruvian food there. is fabulous. And one and of he the does four- a wonderful job. He does. And one of the forecasts for our 2012 food trends was actually a rise in popularity in Peruvian cuisine. It's one of the lesser known, uh, really full of flavor, bold, beautiful cuisines. And I love the idea that we're tempting our palates with new taste sensations. So I love that yeah, he's on your it, list. And then, well, you know, I, I've been there a few times to try different things. And every time, you know, I go, I can sometimes I have 12 course, courses and everything tastes different. They have, they have a trick. They found some spices, some little put together things and it comes out very different that's that this is very interesting and those are new tastes like there, there's some some restaurant there on the list they're very good it's very well executed but you, you're familiar with what's coming up coming in the plate 
Not at Pika. It's a surprise every time you go. For those that are looking to jot it down so you too can make a reservation, it's called Pika, P-I-C-C-A, Pika, uh, Peruvian food in Los Angeles. And the chef is Ricardo, is it Zarate that he says? Zarate? Yes, Zarate. Zarate. R-E-T-E. And then one, one, one um, so speak, I, I think is I like very much and I recommend is uh, SW Steakhouse at the Wind. There's uh, and I recommend that you dine on the terrace because the terrace overlooks over oversees the uh, Lake of Dreams and there's a show going on on the lake every half hour, 25 minutes. It's fabulous uh, which sitting is great. there. So it's yeah. just a short, you know, minute and a half, two minute mm-hmm. show. Now, Sophie, you know, we're Win and Encore fans, and uh, we were very delighted to see the opening of Encore. There is, it's like dinner theater. There is some sort of theater associated with most of the restaurants at Win and Encore, and we too love that. Lana, we ate at SW Steakhouse Mm -hmm. a long while back when David Walzog was at the helm. Now he's moved over to the restaurant next door. Yeah, and he oversees it, yes? He's at the helm of SW Steakhouse, and... Lakeside, that used to be Danielle's Bullet Brasserie, yes. he's overseeing both, so he's still taking mm-hmm. care of SW Steakhouse. Yes. Yeah, he's a great cook. Mm. He really is. So I think that's a, a terrific His plan plating, for Vegas. He has wonderful plates coming to you. He has a right. cool approach. Yeah. Had, had to be on the list, you know, as insider speak, for his raleo for in Washington, D.C., because Rosé Andres is so different oh. from any other chef. You know, what a, this cuisine is very always memorable whether you like it or you don't like it, uh, but it's always very well done, very well thought. So Haleo is on, on, on for Washington D.C. Yes, and uh, I've always had a little bit of a culinary crush on Jose Andres, mm-hmm. Sophie. I do. Mm-hmm. I have a crush on him and his cuisine. They, they call him the next Farinadria, although he's not as molecular gastronomy focused. He is at the bazaar at mm-hmm. SLS, uh, yeah, but it's, his... it's actually you know it's. Not as much molecular that we think, you know, besides the olive, and then, and then he names the olive after Fernandria, but it's a lot of what I would call real food, you know? Yes, mm-hmm. I, and I was going to say his Spanish influence can be very simplistic with just a few ingredients, really high-quality flavors, and that's what I love about him is that he can cook on both ends of the spectrum. I, I am a true Jose Andres fan. He has a fabulous cookbook that we have um, in our office called Made in Spain, and it's just one of his first very real cookbooks that uh, that started him out uh sophie you yes. there okay i want to make sure we didn't lose you we have about no, two no, no. minutes we, we, i'm still here okay good <laughs> we have about two minutes left so um give us the rest of the highlights again the, the so- rest of the highlights i think yes. we should encourage the the new chef the new restaurant the one that opened last year and are bringing something different or there's there's a future for those restaurants like atelier crane in in san francisco it's a controversial restaurant uh she is doing some. She's pushing the envelope. We have to say uh, presentation. She 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 doesn't even use plate sometimes to present the food. Right. But there's she, something there to what Dominique Crane is doing. It's a uh, you know atelier makes workshop. It's a working uh, restaurant. She creates things. They work. They don't work. But she's doing something. Allow me to mention the spelling, Sophie Atelier Crenn. It's C R E N N, and she Correct. is Dominique yes. Crenn. And they say that the food is like a painting, an empty white canvas. And if you um, look online, you'll find some of the presentations. As Sophie said, do not have a plate. She'll draw directly on the table. Um, the food comes to the table in unique and very inspired ways. Mm-hmm. And she already is, has a Michelin one star. So you yes. can see all the dishes on. The video yes on youtube yeah quite fabulous 
more classical new uh, uh, restaurant, Central Michel Richard at um, Caesar's Palace, open 24 hours. There's a regulation in Vegas that every restaurant, every um, casino has to have a 24-hour restaurant uh, open. So they, Michel Richard is the highest celebrity chef that has a 24, or the only celebrity chef that has a 24-hour uh, uh, restaurant. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's called Central. We haven't been yet, but they say 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Michel Richard, I mean, literally all the time in Vegas. It's pretty cool. Sophie, yeah, we're going to... Yeah, all day long. So, when, you know, if you play, you're gambling all night or you're waking up at the weird hour of the day, you can have breakfast there. You know, of course, Michel being, a, you know... At the beginning of his life, he was a pastry chef, so expect great, you know, pancakes and yes. waffles and mm. every breakfast. And then you have to have the Kit, the, the Kit Kat bar. This is this is this chocolate uh, dessert is amazing. Oh, oh. Kit Kat. And then wine leaves. There's a lot of wines uh, in mm. the in the restaurant. It's it's, uh, it's open on the lobby. You cannot miss it at, at the uh, Caesar's Palace. You oh, definitely just piqued Lana's interest with the Kit Kat. Sophie, oh, we're going to let no you <laughs> get back to your <laughs> glass of wine or planning for a Mad Men cocktail, as you said, live from Paris. We very much appreciate the world exclusive, the sneak preview to the 2012 edition of the Gayo.com, G-A-Y-O-T.com annual restaurant issue, which releases this Wednesday. You heard it here first. If you're looking for restaurant, hotel, and travel reviews by a worldwide team of very discerning professionals with your views as well check out the guide to the good life on the web at gaio.com g-a-y-o-t.com merci sophie au revoir merci au revoir à bientôt au revoir. Ah oui, à bientôt when we come back we're planning your passover menus judy bart kansagor the author of cooking jewish live with us chef jamie went along with lana be right back We're sharing tips, tricks, and ideas to make every day more delicious with renowned culinarians that are sparking new ideas around the world. We're serving up seconds, too, at chefjamie.com. And coming up now, if you're planning your Passover menus, we're welcoming your calls. Phone lines are open, 888-539-2980, We're giving thanks deliciously this year as we embark on the holiday of Passover in the Jewish tradition, a very joyous occasion for family and friends, but it doesn't need to be a difficult dinner to create. So if you want to make the juiciest of briskets, fragrant haroset, a crowd-pleasing matzo ball soup, we're planning your holiday meal Right now, Judy Bart Kansagor is the author of Cooking Jewish, which gathers recipes from five generations of a food-obsessed family, sort of like ours, Lana, you and I. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's joining us to celebrate the most important Jewish holiday of the year. Judy, we're always glad to have you back. Good morning. Judy, are you there? Can you Judy? Oh, we can hear you now. Okay. I'm so glad. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, let's talk, uh, let's start at the beginning, Judy, and talk a little bit about the festival, festival of Passover, commemorating the exodus of the Hebrew slaves from Egypt and the fact that we eat nothing that is leaven, but only matzah at this holiday. Right. Um, this tradition goes back thousands of years, and every year we retell the story using our Passover Haggadah, which is um, the book that we use. The word Haggadah itself means retelling. And the sages have told us that it's not enough even to retell the story. We have to relive the story as if we ourselves were slaves in Egypt and are now free. And um, as 
everyone knows our ancestors were uh, rushing out of Egypt. There was no time for the bread to rise. So they baked their bread in these flat cakes, and uh, thus we have matzah. Now leave it to the creative Jewish cooks through the ages to figure out what to do with this kind of uh, tasteless board, really. <laughs> Put stuff on it, crumble it up, whip it into a frenzy, and make it into something delicious. And that's why we have all these great Passover recipes. I never understood, you know, the, we're supposed to be, you know, poor us, no bread for a week, right? Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be remembering the uh, troubles of our ancestors, yet the Passover food was always food I look forward to all year. So uh, we have delicious stuff. Now, do you want to talk about the symbols? We could talk about the Seder plate, too. I, wa I want to, though, spend some more time on matzah, because it's funny you say that. Yeah. I happen to look forward to matzah oh, I always do. all year long. Oh, me too. <laughs> and w we find the, the large, round, beautiful oh, matzah from Israel, uh -huh. yes. and we've already mm -hmm. um, bought it and have it ready for Passover dinner. For those of you that might be celebrating in your own home or going to a friend or family's home, um, Passover will begin its celebration the first night next Friday, Friday night, night, right? April Friday 6th, night before Easter. Right. And then April 7th, second night of Passover, Saturday night. And then Sunday night, uh, is, or Sunday rather, is Easter Sunday. So the holiday is very close this year. There are endless things to do with matzah, Judy. And I happen to think there's some very exciting things to do. Both you and I make a matzah bark. Oh, which, yeah. oh, the toffee-coated matzah oh, with the chocolate. Now, interestingly... Uh, when I put that recipe in my cookbook, my daughter-in-law, Shelly, who is not Jewish, tells me that her grandmother on the farm used to make a similar dish. It's such an old dish because it's really uh, like a depression dish. Um, we're using saltines, of course, not on Passover, but they weren't Jewish. Um, so all you do is make this caramel, which is so easy, you know, butter and sugar, and you just uh, let it go for a while. Pour it over the matzah, uh, leave it there for a little bit, just... Uh, sprinkle some um, chocolate chips over it, let it melt a little bit, and just give it a little, little swirl. Some people add some nuts. And um, stick it in the refrigerator for a little bit to harden, and Passover would not be Passover if I didn't serve that. No matter what else I have for dessert, I've got to have the uh, the the uh, matzah toffee. Same mm. in both of our homes. It's yes. like the ultimate bark that you would love at the holiday season, but for the Jewish holiday of Passover. And, and the perfect dessert. It is, and it's to end sweet, the meal. and it's addictive. And, and this is for Barbara, but she called in asking for the recipe. Ah, okay. So, so Barbara, <laughs> I hope you got, you got that down. Barbara, we'll share it with you directly, too, if you write to live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. Judy, can yeah. we borrow yours? We'll put yours and my recipe together. Okay, and we'll, we'll do recipes. Do a do. <laughs> I was just going to say a duo of matzah bark for Passover. We were having a throwdown about something else now. What was it? The chicken soup or the brisket? I think that it was the, the fact that my mother's brisket trumps okay. your mother's brisket. <laughs> I, I think so. Each person's brisket is fabulous. Yes, th that is very true. Um, okay, other exciting things that you can do with the matzah. Matzah brai we love. Oh, and absolutely. That, you a don't have to be tip. Jewish to a love matzah brai. What we, what we like to do is take our leftover haroset and put it in the matzah bride. People are always wondering what uh -huh. to do with that leftover haroset. And let me explain for people who don't know that um, haroset is uh, one of the ceremonial dishes. Uh, every Jewish um, uh, nationality all throughout the world has their form of haroset using whatever is local. It's a fruit and nut mixture. And it represents 
the mortar of the bricks that our ancestors, who were slaves in Egypt, used um, to make whatever they were making, probably the pyramids. Um, anyway, we always make lots because it's very, very popular. Now, what to do with the leftovers? Oh, by the way, I'm going to give you a tip for Herosit that is going to change your life. Three little words. Are you ready? Yeah, change my life. Go ahead. Okay. Toast thy nuts. Toast thy nuts. Yes. That Wait, and, and this little tidbit of information will also change every cake, dessert, Absolutely. and delicious crisp mm-hmm. crunch and texture in a salad. Toast thy nuts. Absolutely. Now, it, doesn't it amaze you? Any recipe that you see for Herosid, except for in my book, of course, doesn't tell you to toast the nuts. That's very true. Such a difference. Now, when I make Herosid, the regular Ashkenazi, which is Eastern European Herosid, I use pecans, as my southern cousins do. Right. Or a combination of pecans and walnuts. But whatever nut you use, toast it, please. Pecans, walnuts, or almonds. I'm asked very often, and I don't recall where I was. Uh, I was in a professional kitchen testing some recipes, um, and one of the chefs that I was working with asked me, do you need a saute pan? I was dumping out a a bag of walnuts or or pecan halves. Uh I said, no, I'd rather have a cookie sheet. And he sort of looked at me a little bit funny, but the truth is if you really want to master toasting nuts, you get a much more even toast from roasting in the oven rather than on top of the stove another little tip i like to roast them whole when i can because if you chop your nuts first and then roast them the size of the pieces are all different and some pieces might burn and other pieces won't be toasted enough so if you have the option toast the larger pieces toast them it's a different uh, amount of time depending upon the size Mm -hmm. you know tiny little pine nuts will take you know, four minutes in my oven, and every oven is different. Right, and but it depends, too, on the the color, the darkness that you're looking for, but you always know to sense the aroma, right. the aromatic yeah. smell of the, the nuts. Mo- the moment you could smell it, the yes. fra- that the yes. fragrance then comes up. Then that tells you that it's done. Mm-hmm. And kind of watch it. Go yes. toss the pan, mm-hmm. for sure. Any, uh, anyway, so we always have a lot of leftover Herosit because we make so much, and my kids always liked it for mm-hmm. breakfast just lather it on that's on my favorite part of passover but if you put it if you like your matzo bry sweet and some like it sweet and some like it salty depending upon which tribe they belong to mm-hmm. never knew it could be so complicated did you if you like it sweet the way i do leftover herosit is delicious mm. what could be bad another nice. thing you can do with leftover herosit is freeze it and later after passover anytime you're making a, a cake or a bread that calls for applesauce or something like that use the herosit in, instead Oh, nice. Very Great moist. Idea. Yeah. And Judy, the one thing I'm adding to my matzo bar this year is a cherry sauce. Uh. Jamie and I have a favorite cherry called Amarina. Ooh. You've had these beautiful cherries from Italy by yeah. any chance, Judy? Delicious. Absolutely good. divine. And mixing it with some sugar and grated orange zest and a little juice and vanilla extract, it's a perfect complement to the matzo bride. Now, you can find these amarina cherries in the cheese section at Bristol Farms. Oh, you yeah. could order them online in a very large vat, which I'm just about to do, so I can bathe in them. Mm-hmm. That's how good <laughs> the they are. The flavor is exquisite. <laughs> They're outrageous. Mm-hmm. But if you're making matzo bride with cherry sauce, Lana, I'm coming oh. to your house. Talk us oh, through. Oh, Judy, you're invited anytime. Oh, thank <laughs> you, you know that. Mom, talk us through <laughs> your matzo bride. Now, just very we simply. Miss if yes. we were if we were talking about matzah and didn't mention uh, a matzah kugel or in in uh, my cookbook mm. I call mm-hmm. it a matzah shallot 
Judy, pause there. Yeah, Judy, pause there. We'll take a quick break when we come back. Okay. Matzah kugel, matzah brai. We're going to teach you the 101. We're celebrating Passover in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana and the author of Cooking Jewish, Judy Bart Kansagor. There's more after this right here on KFWB News Talk 980. Ooh, and her ebook. We'll tell you all about it right after this. This is Food Conversation That Fits Your Life. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Two recipes excerpted from the ebook from Judy Bart Kansagor's Cooking Jewish, her dedicated Passover section, and now available electronically. In fact, you'll find a link on her recipes where we've posted two of them for your Passover Seder at chefjamie.com. And this is the Passover checklist that begins Judy's new book, The Perfect Passover Cookbook, available electronically everything you'll need from the different styles of harosit to kafilta fish recipes for the best jewish penicillin chicken soup of course uh, chicken dishes and matzo balls and matzo balls chicken kinds, dishes yes right. and briskets and uh, matzo kugels and then all the wonderful sweets that we always end the seder meal with the passover chocolate nut cake made from uh, grandma sally Right, Judy? Oh, yes. And the chocolate hazelnut caramel tort and even the matzah bark that we just spoke about, which you don't have to be Jewish to make or eat. Or any of these. They're but you all will wonderful. fall in love. They're all wonderful dishes all year long. That that they are. We agree. And again, we've posted two recipes excerpted, and you can get your hands on Judy's ebook at chefjamie.com. Let's go back to matzah brai for just a bit, and we're short on time, Judy. But uh, when it comes to matzah brai, Lana, I love your idea for a new innovative twist. And that's something that you always inspire me to do when we work very hard as the holidays approach or any excuse to celebrate with family and friends. Take a dish and make it a little bit differently or a little bit better or a little bit more flavorful than you did the last time. Just break the matzah into half inch inch pieces right. and soak them in very hot water for a minute or two. Squeeze right. it out and then make take a very large saute pan and make four mounds and flatten them, and you'll get four pancakes of matzo brai. I love that. So this is the everyone, tutorial on matzo brai. If you used to make gets it scrambled, their own serving that way. Yeah, now people don't like the matzo brai sweet. My husband prefers salty. Really, and I prefer that you take out the sugar bowl and preferably a tablespoon over a teaspoon, and you sprinkle for a good few minutes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like it sweet. I like syrup on it. Mm. As a matter of fact, I I hate to admit this, I don't wait for Passover because I have matzo brai at least once a week. Uh-huh. Oh wait, I'm coming over for breakfast, yeah, Judy. I, I put I always have baked apples in my house. Mm, nice. Um, and I just take a little baked apple and I mix it with the matzo. Oh, lovely. Sometimes I use egg beaters depending <gasps> on where I'm at. <laughs> what a what a and, nice um, combination. It's yes, really great, perfect. It's really a great breakfast. Lovely. Another thing that people like to do with matzo is make kremslach. Have you heard of those? No. What is it's that? A really old Eastern European dish. It's kind of like a fritter. And in, I have a story uh, coming up on Thursday in the Orange County Register. It'll be the lead story about Passover. And there's a recipe in there for a Roman matzo fritter uh, that's very similar, only they use uh, raisins or leftover harosit in it mm. with slivered almonds. Now, the Romans use pine nuts. Is this dessert or is it's this a, part of the meal? It's a side dish, really, or you oh, can use oh. it as a dessert because it, this one is, is sweet. Uh, but it's a fried fritter, and the Romans fry it in olive oil. 
Mm. Oh, wow. Okay, so I love that there's an Italian influence of the olive oil. We're adding different uh, ethnicities and flavor profiles, too. Oh, we can't wait to read it, Judy. Love that. All right, as we make up our Seder plate, and by the way, during the Seder, the word means order in Hebrew, we put together the Seder plate with the matzah, the haroset. It's the main meal and the feast that's always very important. Uh, I'm going to run through the menu, Judy. Just give me two quick tips, please. And we'll all share our insight into, uh, let's start off with a chicken soup. Well, you got to use my mother's. I mean, there's no other tip. Okay. And I'll say... The entire vegetable soup, the entire vegetable produce market in that soup. In the pot. Use tons of vegetables. Mm, yes. Use tons of fresh dill. And make it in advance so that you have time for the fat to come to the top of the pot. The flavors only get better. One of the recipes that Lana and I are testing is what we call a one-pot Passover, and that is putting an extra chicken in a great big pot and then using that chicken to glaze and just finish uh, in the oven as a roast chicken. And you sort of yeah. get a two-for-one. Yeah. Judy, mm-hmm. fabulous, and the chicken's so very tender. Uh, your best chicken dish, let's say, for the Passover menu, is it the uh, mahogany chicken with the figs and the cranberries? That is a perfect one to use, mm. and it's so easy to do. Looks so good. Yeah. Fabulous. And, and then also there's the cherry chili chicken. That's a favorite because I, I love alliteration. I'm the one that gave it the name. My aunt uh, Hilda used to call it holiday chicken, but... Um, that that's another great one for the holiday. cherry chili chicken and your dessert of choice for Passover 2012. God, now you really you're asking me to choose between my <laughs> grandchildren. Uh, I gotta go with the mandel bread. There we go. Oh, uh, you know mandel bread. It, it's the Jewish biscotti, of course. I was gonna say if you ever made biscotti, they're delicious. But for some reason, the Passover version, and we use the uh, matzah cake meal and potato starch. It just gives it a different kind of a crunch, and it's really, really good. Because we use chocolate chips. You can use chocolate chips and nuts. I have a version using, I cut dice up um, dried apricots with some coconut, some almonds, and dip them in white chocolate. Mm, nice. Mm-hmm. And, Judy, I'm going to make your, uh, it's called My Best Passover Sponge Cake. Oh, yummy. Mm. Nice. Oh. Right up your, that's right up oh, your alley, That's memories Lana. from childhood. Yes. Passover. I Always. Say, if you are allergic to eggs and you're allergic to nuts, it's going to be a really long week. <laughs> <laughs> that it is. But it's going to be one filled with fabulous food. We love that you always share your family recipes, Judy. And we thank you for sharing your passion. Congratulations on the ebook. You. You'll find a link to Judy Bart Kansagor's Cooking for Passover, uh, an excerpted piece from her book, Cooking Jewish, at chefjamie.com, along with two excerpted recipes so that you can prepare the ultimate Passover feast. Judy, it's a wonderful ebook. There's 150. 15 pages. Beautiful. It's yeah, marvelous. Yeah. Really fabulous. And we'll look for you on Thursday, cover story of the Orange County Register for yeah. those that are celebrating Passover or wish to be able to talk uh, about the highlights of the meal with uh, friends who are celebrating the most important Jewish holiday of the year. We're continuing. Thank you, Judy, Thank to you bring so you a pleasure. Happy, Happy Pesach. We're continuing to bring you inspiration and delicious ideas because it's how you put the dish together that sets it apart, bringing you all the flavor every Sunday morning, improving your life one meal at a time. We hope you'll join us next Sunday as the delicious conversation continues. The cheesemaker from Beecher's Cheese, the Seattle favorite Pike Place Market. 
and the ultimate macaroni and cheese recipe will be live with us along with Chef David Mann, new at the helm of the Island Hotel, sharing his small plates and one of the best flatbreads I have ever had and can't wait to learn to make it. He said he would share his dough recipe with us. So, of course, the delicious conversation does continue. Menu ideas and recipes for busy people can be found at chefjamie.com. Don't forget those Bristol Farms specials now through Tuesday. Pick up a rotisserie chicken when you're driving by. And Lana, thank you as always for making this show possible. And we thank you for listening. Until next Sunday, we're serving up seconds at chefjamie.com on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. Ah, we're doing a taste bud experiment next Sunday. So grab blue food coloring, sit down next to your radio, and get ready to determine what your taste profile is. Mark your calendars for May 6th for our live broadcast. And be sure to submit your photos for our food photo contest. More information on the website. Wishing you a delicious Sunday filled with fabulous food. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. Thanks for listening. We hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by TasteBud Entertainment. KFWB, KFWB HD, Los Angeles.